and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the show where I interview the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Mirko Senatore. Mirko has had a huge amount of experience within the supply chain and operations side of global businesses. He's currently working for Pfizer, which is a leading biopharmaceutical company across 22 different countries in Eastern Europe and Central Asia. He's held a variety of very senior positions across a 12-year tenure, including Director of the Supply Chain Network Solutions and Excellence um, across EMEA. In addition, Mirko is also a Six Sigma black belt, holds a MBA and a degree, of course, and is also a very active member of the Diversity and Inclusion Council at Pfizer. Welcome to the show, Mirko. Hi, Leila. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you and everyone. Uh, thanks a lot for having me today. Thank you so much for being here today with us, Mirko. And for those who are listening in, obviously you've had a fantastic career across the board um, within supply chain and operations globally, and you're, you're also sitting on the Diversity and Inclusion Council, which is fantastic. I know a subject you're very proud about. But talk to us a little bit about some of your career history to date and perhaps some of the key pieces of work, of which there are many, I know, but uh, tell us about <laughs> some of the key pieces that you are working on and driving forwards at the moment within Pfizer? Sure, with pleasure, always pleasure actually. So, um, you know, my, my whole career has been, you know, throughout the last, you know, 15, 16 years, it's been always spent in uh, within supply chain. And uh, while at the beginning I was, you know, mostly focused on the, let's say, delivery components, so like the downstream supply chain, over time, obviously, you know, different experiences and different roles had the opportunity to really explore it um, from an end-to-end perspective. And yeah, I mean, the vast majority of my career has been spent uh, with Pfizer, uh, where I currently work. And I mean, I must say I've been extremely, extremely fortunate with, um, you know, finding myself in this company because, you know, the opportunity I've been given in terms of like career progression, personal and professional development have been absolutely paramount. So I know I'm still relatively young, so having like such long <laughs> tenure in uh, in one single company might might sound a bit awkward, you know, these days. I mean, uh, things have changed a lot compared to a few decades ago. Uh, but that's essentially because really um, I had the opportunity to collect many, many different experiences within uh, within my current company. And right now, as you pointed out at the beginning, um, I'm responsible for cluster 22 countries. That's uh, it's actually a role that I started just shortly over one year ago. And yeah, essentially, my role is extremely operational. So I manage a team of colleagues who make sure that basically the supply chain operations are are good. And that basically translates making sure that our medicines, our products reach the our patients uh, exactly when and where they need them. It's very operational, but it's actually incredibly important. I mean, we we feel some, sometimes we really have a mission, and that's something that goes just beyond, you know, the typical day-to-day job. But it's really about making something good and knowing that sometimes we can we can really have an impact on on somebody's lives. Uh, if we talk about life-saving drugs, if we talk about you know oncology products, that's something that really makes us proud of what we do every single day. So while there is, you know, a very, very strong layer and component of operations um, in, in my day-to-day job, of course, um, you know, 
managing a relatively large cluster of markets who somebody would define so like emerging in reality you know i prefer to say they are limited revenue because they're smaller than you know traditional western european markets or us and so on there, there is a very fascinating very charming part of the job for me which is really bringing an element of transformation so it's about you know gaining some maturity and making sure that these markets could actually operate at all effects as you know more established markets meaning meaning there is no tangible difference in the level of maturity in our supply chain operations but also when it comes to developing people and you know developing them as professional i'm, I'm incredibly lucky with with my team because I, I, you know i really love my team they are super talented very very nice people to work with of course you know different levels of experience and different levels of maturity but but what is really making them special is the attitude they are towards learning and that makes my life when it comes to pushing towards continuous learning very very easy obviously so um, clearly you know the operational component is critical the transformational component is um is is absolutely crucial and <laughs> it represents my passion and last but not least obviously i want to make sure that those colleagues really can work together and reach out across boundaries even even if they do different things but like so like leveraging the synergies of the team um and that's really sum it up in a, in a nutshell you know i could be more specific on, on projects and initiatives we're working on but i think that's uh, a bit of the general framework here fantastic so you've got lots and lots of plates spinning then at the moment Mirko. and <laughs> if if you don't mind me winding back the clock a little bit um because clearly you're working across a lot of different regions at the moment and working very very internationally uh when it comes to probably working with lots of different cultures what about your personal journey your personal cultural journey how you actually came to be where you are today because you mentioned there how important it is to be continually learning developing um, on both a professional level but also on a personal level and um, it would be great to find out um, it, in a way you where, where you where you come from I know we've chatted about this formatively um, outside of the podcast but talk to me about how you came to be where you are today and a little about the personal background if you don't mind me asking I mean, from a personal perspective, I'm, I'm currently based in London, uh, here in the UK, and I have been in the last five years or so. Uh, but prior to that, um, I was in Brussels for six years, and originally I'm from Italy, so I was born and raised in Italy in the southwest coast, this lovely town called Salerno, just off the Amalfi Coast, and basically... Oh, I love the Amalfi Coast. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, I just I love it. I bet everyone says that, don't they? It's amazing. It's amazing. It's always a pleasure to go back. Um, but at the moment, you know, I only go back on basically on holidays. So, so really, um, I left my hometown probably like uh, around one year after I um, had graduated from university and spent three years in Rome. Uh, and it was right before moving to Brussels. So that, that's been, you know, a bit of the sort of like personal journey from a location perspective. In reality, what happened is that my hometown is, is very tiny city so it's probably in the order of um, 160,000 people so to speak so um, moving to Rome <laughs> like capital was was really like a big thing for me uh, and then you know I just like stepped it up by moving abroad uh, now Brussels is smaller than Rome but uh, but in terms of like international component it's um, really really incredible and uh, the turnover of people and melting pot of different nationalities you got there it's um, it's 
almost unbelievable. It blows my mind. And, and, and to be honest, it's also extremely enriching because you get to know people, you get to know different ways of thinking, different ways of approaching things, different traditions, cultures, folklore, you know, you name them. So, so there was, um, you know, I, I hold that city very, very close to my heart and because it was a fantastic experience. And then, you know, just like uh, bringing it up one level, uh, I, I came to London. I mean, it's like, what, 11 million people living here? A huge city, um, basically a number of cities within the city. And likewise, you know, just like uh, like in Brussels, melting pot, pretty much you can, if you, if you look carefully, you can probably find any single nationality in the world um, represented in London, uh, by at least a few. So... Um, you know, from a personal perspective, all of this has been uh, absolutely exploitable for me to to really get to a point of thinking in slightly, slightly different terms and like detaching myself from my uh, original culture and sometimes being able to take different perspectives. And while this is true, let's say from a personal perspective, also professionally, um, working in for the vast majority of my career at Pfizer in so like above market type of environment meant that I had to deal with different situations and, and different colleagues and different way of approaching things. I believe one of the most enriching experiences that I can recall, it, it dates um, around 10 years now, almost, it was 2010, 2011. And it's when I was basically um, leading a project to establish our um, uh, distribution hub in uh, East Africa. So I was traveling to Kenya um, probably like nine, ten times throughout the duration of the project. Um, met lovely people there and really um, found a completely different way of approaching life and and also you know also the also work. I mean, in reality, <clears throat> in the way local people there deal with uh, work-related matters is completely different. And I must say. You know, I wouldn't want to sound uh, a bit of a cliche or stereotypical, but uh, but really probably more more relaxed, um, so perhaps healthier. You know, there is a different level, a different pace, so a different level of uh, speed when it comes to doing things, um, which sometimes makes it challenging to reach certain deadlines. But on the other side, it basically allows you to take your job and your day-to-day -day activities with a bit of a, you know, more relaxed i would say uh way so it's not super stressful uh, in the same way we are exposed here and um i can talk about obviously you know western europe because it's where i've spent most of my time and clearly i mean there is uh sometimes a bit of an obsession of doing things fast and you know you, you go as fast that you sometimes actually forget your what you're doing and why you're doing that i think it gives you that type of experience gives you the chance of just reflecting back and saying, mm, okay, let's try and start making and, you know, putting things into perspective and, um, and really understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. That makes absolute sense. And I do think as a, well, as a Western culture, we are obsessed with timelines and deadlines and things like that. Absolutely. And of course, with the work that you're doing in operations, it's very much about making sure you hit, like you said earlier, the end to end and, and getting things um, kind of done when they, when they have been promised and such. But I wonder, um, are there any other, or oh, should I ask it, I'll, I'll reframe the question in a different way. What have been the main experiences that you've had that have really kind of struck a chord with you that have been no different 
from going from you know small town in in beautiful Italy across to a a kind of a, a big city that has this melting pot of different traditions and culture through now suddenly to to London there's got to be lots of different types of working style environment cultural idiosyncrasies etc what have been the biggest biggest pieces that have really struck a chord with you see it would be a bit difficult for me to put my finger on a single thing but there is something that for me is actually very very revealing it's sometimes but probably underestimated but language um, can tell you a lot of things you know the Italian language and you compare it to um, French language uh, which I learned when I was in Brussels or, or uh, the English language basically that's one that's my main language at the moment you realize that language is not just a way of communicating the language tells you a lot about the culture of um, a population of a country, you know, of a group of people, so to speak. What is actually most interesting for me, and um, I've been told this by people who are close to me, is that actually my my very own personality is somehow different depending on the language I speak. Really? The way it is, it is. And um, I mean, obviously, intonation, pace, phonetics, basically all things that are peculiar to language are extremely different, you know, between, between you know, Italian and English, you know, just to make, um, to make a point there. But that's straightforward. The point is that it has an impact on your personality, the way you position certain things and certain statements. I mean, one thing that always blows my mind is the, <clears throat> is the whole concept of the so-called British understatement. I mean, there isn't like a proper equivalent in, uh, in Italy, uh, in Italian, in Italian language, there isn't such a thing like the British understatement. It's actually very, very rare. Still, I mean, it's something that I use regularly in my way of speaking because it just basically helps me to put forward what I'm really thinking. So in that sense, I, I probably tend to be even a bit more extroverted when, I, when I'm speaking English than when I'm speaking Italian. I mean, to me, that is extremely striking. If one thing like language that is um, normally deemed as just like a vehicle of communication can have such a deep impact. Imagine when you when you like start to space out and you know go go broader towards other aspects uh, like culture, um, so like traditions, food, public holidays thing. You know what is behind the public holiday in one country or another? I mean, it's it's absolutely absolutely um, fantastic. And um, and with that, obviously, comes the the flip side of the coin, which is working in an international environment, you are confronted with a number of different levels when it comes to even English proficiency, which is the language we use to communicate. And that means that sometimes that very same thing could create certain fractures because people are not capable always of expressing themselves the way they would do in their native tongue. So I guess that's, um, that's probably like one thing that comes to my mind when, when you ask me something like that, because pointing out specific um, specific cases, you know, I, I've got like many of them, really. uh, but clearly uh, one thing that I must say, and then I can say with, with a certain degree of comfort, is that relocating to a different country is um, it's an extremely exciting and very enriching experience, but it's never easy. Um, it's never easy to get acquainted to new ways of living it is not easy to get acquainted to i don't know health systems that, that you can find in the country uh food you know the whole things i mean and um it's just like it, it forces you to it forces you out of your comfort zone um especially if you do that on your own which i did when i when i moved to brussels 
it was actually very challenging. I mean, there were times when I was in Brussels in the first few months where I, where I was really questioning, you know, have I done really the right thing here? Because it's tough. Um, but then you, you push through and, you know, things just start to, to get better and better. And eventually you, you never look back and you never regret the decision. So many interesting subjects there. And just going back to something that you said previously, the, uh, the British understatement, that is so, so true. Uh, and I've, you know, it's, it's funny because I had this conversation with my husband the other day who is, he, he's, an, he's an American. He lived in China for, for 12 years. I think I told you this story actually before, but he lived in China for 12 years and he said the biggest culture shock was coming back out of China and then moving to the UK because he couldn't, whilst he speaks English and is American, the British understatement as you so articulately put it was something that he found really hard to understand it was he's speaking the same language and people are he said the British were saying are you okay are, are you okay and and he was like yeah I'm absolutely fine I'm fine why do you keep asking me and it's like no 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 they're just asking whether you are okay I think the way that the British somehow you know we almost have we say things but the undercurrent or the meaning is often slightly different when you translate that as you say into into uh, into someone else's cultural understanding it can often be incredibly different can't it so yeah, uh, so no it made me smile when you said that and um on on the uh, on the piece there around moving from different countries and, and moving outside of your comfort zone which you've now done a number of different times i imagine whilst i haven't done it myself i imagine that that would be incredibly challenging whilst obviously exciting um, and something that those who are working for international businesses probably have to go through time and time again potentially in their career suddenly adapting to a new a new surrounding which I'm sure is is very difficult you know what were the best pieces of advice perhaps that you could give to to others or even for our listeners who are who are tuning in today thinking oh my goodness I've done that I, I've relocated I've done the expat thing it's been difficult. What what are the best coping mechanisms that, that, that you kind of had when you made the move each time in your career, Mirko? You know, I'm at risk of sounding a bit uh, banal almost, I would say probably like the, the, <laughs> the most important thing would be there to stay open-minded. You, you are going to encounter things that are different, okay? And um, that doesn't mean they are worse. I mean, like, there, there is a point in just letting go of the past and things. I mean, it's really about the comfort zone, okay? So letting go of the past and, you know, your own culture and your own traditions, it's, it's about leaving the comfort zone. It's about embracing something different. I guess, you know, if you, if you were to move to U.S. from Europe, for example, would you be really eager to let go of such a nice thing as celebrating Thanksgiving? <laughs> because, you know, I mean, it's not something that belongs to us, but you are there, you know, everybody's celebrating. And I mean, in the end, it, it probably doesn't represent like a sort of like form or piece of cultural heritage for you as a European, but still it's, it's just a nice thing, you know, to go there and celebrate with others. And that's just an example. The point is, you know, maintaining an open, open-minded approach means, uh, you know, you might want to go out and try out local food. You know, just like sticking to your own food, it doesn't really make a lot of difference. And sorry, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and that is because also probably type of ingredients or the restaurants you can find are not as good as you would find in your own country, right? So you're better off sticking to, to, to what, they're, what, they're, what they're good at. So, right? So that's, um, it's nice you might be surprised. I think, you know, maintaining a bit of an open-minded approach there is absolutely critical. The other thing is, um, 
Uh, it's pretty straightforward when you move to English-speaking countries like the UK, Australia, um, US, and so on. I mean, uh, supposedly you you start from a let's say decent level of English, um, so that's not very complicated. But if you think about countries where you don't speak the local language because it's not English and you need to learn, well, that's a major challenge. But honestly, that's also one of the best investments you can do. Because in reality, you probably will never need any local language in your in your day-to-day work if you are an expert. But the way you start integrating with people and really, really understanding um, the place you're living in, and also potentially even even the office, you know, like getting a bit more into the office culture, this is going to make a huge difference. For me, um, I could have lived my six years in Brussels without learning a word in French. And it was absolutely fine. You know, the amount of uh, experts that live in Brussels is incredible, let alone the amount of Italians. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but with that said, um, you know, I started from basically zero. You know, I never studied French before. And when I did and started to really speak the language and, and become, you know, relatively decent at speaking French, um, the way I could really integrate with people, speak with people, just random strangers you, you, you meet like that, you know, every single day, uh, there was uh, an incredible value add. Uh, you know, when you do so, I mean, the number of doors that open up is just incredible because, you know, you might, you might find somebody who could actually not express themselves in, uh, in English. But maybe they're so very interesting people, and you just you're missing out on opportunity there because if you can't communicate, possibly you can't get to know them. You never know what you're losing. So, so I mean, getting to know and getting to get you know at least achieve a minimum level of proficiency with language would certainly be a very very important aspect. So maintaining you know an open-minded approach, getting to understand the and to, and to learn a bit of the language. And the other thing is for last but certainly not least in um, in this list is uh, really understand the rules. I mean, you know, do not take assumptions there. Things just work differently. And it's important to understand the rules in order for you to be able and um, and really not find yourself in uh, in funny situations, so to speak. So um, when, I, when I say understanding the rules, I, I mean this in a broader sense. Again, for me personally, one of the most challenging pieces have been in both instances, um, really understanding how the the health system works, and you know we can be super healthy, but at some point you know we find ourselves in need for seeing a physician, for going to the hospital for I don't know broken leg or, or, or whatever. But uh, but basically understanding how this works is very important because those are like the things that might make your life extremely miserable if you if you get it wrong indeed that's really good advice and i think keeping that open mind whilst it is difficult sometimes to push yourself out of that comfort zone is absolutely imperative and actually like you said when you landed in brussels you kind of thought oh my goodness have i made the right decision actually you got yourself out there put your head above the parapet embraced local traditions and others and suddenly you're you're loving life there and really enjoying things and it can, I guess, have a positive benefit. Like you say, you know, maybe if we have this almost intersectionality of different cultures, we can be celebrating Christmas 
and Thanksgiving, as I now do. It's another, it's another excuse to enjoy uh, oneself and then also celebrating Chinese New Year as well. And exactly. celebrating with friends who, who enjoy other festivals, Diwali and such like. Actually, the world is better, surely, when it is that kind of big melting pot of different cultures and traditions and, and we keep an open mind to it all. Yeah, and, and totally. And, and obviously, <clears throat> to probably add to what I just said, creating for yourself like a strong network of people you can rely on. Um, and I'm talking about at work, but also outside of work, and you know, just like different people. Again, it passes through maintaining an open an open mind. Um, basically, having network of friends or like close acquaintances that you could rely on. Uh, it's very important and very often it's difficult to um, I must say my personal experience is more difficult to integrate with locals uh, because they have their own history and network there on the ground so, so it's, it's a bit more difficult to blend but you you very easily find people who are in exactly in a very similar position to the one you're experiencing maybe other experts people who are facing the same challenges and sometimes like it's good to just share that and you know give mutual mutual advice just or just vent out and vent out together it's, it's just as good as, as good as it gets right i i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more and i think as human beings we kind of you know we all want to blend in inverted commas you know part of us wants to fit in it's the human desire to to, to want to feel that uh that requirement that we have similarities to others but at the same time like uh, you know like you mentioned being in a workplace that is enhancing and, and and actually creating a good environment for lots of different individuals is, is very very important and i'm sure um with the work that you do on the dni council that is that is an imperative and i wonder before we we kind of end up running out of time for today whether we could talk a little bit about the the work that you're doing around dni at Pfizer and also what diversity and inclusion actually means to you because I'm sure there's many things that fall underneath that umbrella so to speak. It's only one of my passions I and mean, it's something that uh, just goes um, above and beyond the let's say day-to-day job. I mean, everybody who is um, at Pfizer involved in the diversity and inclusion activities uh, do that on as from like voluntary work on top of the of their let's say official work but I must say, again, I I am feeling fairly lucky with that because Pfizer is uh, actively supporting this. And even in, in our new values, um, you know, earlier this year, sorry, I must say last year, actually, <laughs> we're in 2020 now. But last year, we, the, like, the four key uh, new Pfizer values were released. And amongst those, you find equity, which really talks towards you know, the concept of diversity and inclusion and have everybody feeling involved. Now, my work specifically with the um, Diversity and Inclusion Council and um, European Council here in uh, here Pfizer started around probably three years ago um, when I, I decided to opt in for that and, and just to, to join the, the proceedings. And um, uh, immediately I was, um, I was ending up in the what we call the inclu- inclusiveness work stream. So, I mean, my work has been mostly focused on the inclusiveness. Obviously, there are we call chapters that are more um, orientated towards, um, you know, so like looking after certain other aspects of diversity, you know, from the more traditional ones like, you know, LGBTQ to um, uh, gender diversity, of course, um, as well as um, 
cross-generational diversity and so on. So there, there are many, many areas of work. Um, but myself, I'm, I'm more um, involved on in the inclusiveness beat. And in that regard, basically, what we've been doing at Fazio was really to, um, uh, you know, engage in a journey and, and start to develop um, a number of tools, a number of workshops towards inclusiveness, um, and also engaging, most important, not just with um, people who, again, voluntarily decide to sign up for certain things, but also with leaders, um, firmly believing that, obviously, uh, the leadership component there is absolutely critical. Um, Initially, you know, just as an anecdote, basically, the work stream was initially called inclusive leadership. I remember one of the first meetings I was challenging that. I said, guys, I mean, if we want to be inclusive, we need to make people feel included. And if you say leadership, yes, we all are supposed to be leaders, okay? Or leaders of ourselves, leaders of our work. But naturally, you know, let's face it, like the inclination for people when you talk about leadership, they would think about people managers, okay? And we want to capture the whole population here. So why don't we switch? So we, we dropped inclusive leadership, moved to inclusive culture, yeah, which mm. makes it indeed much, much more inclusive. I mean, it's just a word, but it might make a difference when it comes to you know, the initial perception and sort of like unconscious bias that people might encounter when, when dealing with something like that. Now, my work specifically within this work stream, especially in the last year and a half, probably has been dedicated mostly uh, to developing uh, inclusiveness measures. And to me, that's, that's a bit the, like the big question mark, the elephant in the room. How do you measure something that is so in, intangible, such as inclusiveness? You know, that required a bit of like uh, brainstorming and, 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 and brain dumping, if you will. And, uh, and in reality, we, we developed a framework based on at least like five different uh, metrics, five different areas. Because on the one side, we, we do have a corporate, what's called Pfizer Voice, it's basically a survey that we run on a yearly basis across all employees. Um, and some of the questions are actually also related to inclusiveness. So we said, okay, let's use this and just start measuring across different groups how things are evolving based on the interventions that we have made. We also thought about um, working with leaders to understand the impact of the program on them. Uh, and here we're talking about senior leaders and how, you know, longitudinally, basically how this has evolved over time in terms of as this sort of like work than any any good at, you know, making them change the way they approach certain things, you know, from recruitment decisions to, you know, assignment approaches and so on. Then we also um, um, developed an aspect which is related to um, sort of like um, comparisons. So basically comparing the levels of um, inclusiveness between groups that have been exposed to interventions as opposed to groups who haven't been exposed to. And also, I think I'm forgetting one, but personally, you know, the reason is that there is one that is extremely close to my heart. And as you're aware, we talked about this a about this couple of times, it's basically a, an app that we developed in-house, um, and we call it real-time inclusiveness app. The whole concept oh. is, is, is actually to allow people who are organizing meetings, by example, to, to just run a survey straight after the meeting to the participants, and it's super easy, super quick. That, that's why I insist on having an app, because it's something that you can do on your way to the airport, by example, straight imagine. Away. Mm -hmm. and it, straight away. And, and you know, it, it's based on um, a bank of 24 questions across six different areas of inclusiveness. Uh, or you can create your own custom questions if you want. You can save the templates, you can save the recipients, the recipient groups, and so on. So it's, it's been thought, you know, 
towards really the idea of making it as simple as possible, but also as quick to use as possible. Uh, I use it myself. I use it myself like a couple of days ago because last week I had my team meeting. So I said, okay, so <laughs> off we go. I mean, we just we just finished the debugging, so I mean, it's uh, it's really launching as we speak. This um, is so exciting, and I am really curious to to know when you were measuring some of the interventions for those that had received the interventions versus people who haven't received the interventions. What were the, if you were allowed to tell us what 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 were some of the results that you actually saw? What was the output? I mean, we are still in progress of measuring, but the results, the sort of like interim results that we have received so far are pretty encouraging. And on the same, you know, at the same time, they're also offering some food for thought. So we basically figured out that probably we did a few good things and maybe certain other things we could have done better. Um, particularly, um, one striking point there was the fact that you can't possibly, I mean, this is something that will still take a while to be self-sustained and self-sustainable. Okay, that means that continued effort into this is required, particularly when it comes to, by example, following up after a workshop. So you have like an inclusive culture workshop. So people are exposed to this maybe for the first time, and then they go back to their desk and start reflecting, maybe do a couple of things differently. But then eventually um, what happens is that they will need some follow-up on this, and you know, just like you know, continuing to nurture this sort of like mm. mindset and approach. That's such um, a great idea, though, because it's one, it's quick, it's easy. Um, DNI initiatives, and I know you've said there that, that that it's a voluntary piece. A lot of people are doing diversity and inclusion and belonging pieces because they want to, or it's an addition to their day-to-day -day role. And so, having something that is quick and simple and easy and very very accessible is brilliant. Because it is, and I was talking to someone about this the other day, saying, oh, diversity and inclusion, belonging, it's, you know, it can be quite relentless. Yes, it's all about making the world of business a better place, but at the same time, you're always pushing, 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 tweaking, honing, developing, and eventually, I don't think there ever will be a day that the penny fully drops with everyone, and we, we, we stop learning and we say right okay that's it we've done enough inclusivity training now or we've learned enough from our app let's stop and that's it because it is just constantly evolving isn't it uh, yes i mean absolutely i mean to to be honest with you i mean like my um, my hope and like i think the ambition of such a program should be at some point that we really don't need to talk about diversity and inclusion uh, that is so ingrained and so under our skin that it's it's basically a no-brainer i mean you know it's just like with the um, women condition uh, today, I mean, it's just something that we still need to keep talking about because, I mean, disparity exists and exists in, um, in you know, at, at several different levels, not just when it comes to salary, because, I mean, that's probably like the most straightforward to address. Um, and in fact, actually, a lot of work has, has gone really into this. But I think, you know, when it comes to gender diversity there, uh, there's a whole history um of you know i i could start you know open the Pandora box and talk about toxic masculinity and how things have evolved over time and what what did that mean uh for women how they were perceived and how this basically translates into, into today today i mean there is um just need for being feminist and and there is need for being feminist in a way that is probably often misunderstood what is often misunderstood by my gender, by men, is the fact that being feminist is not something that we do because, well, yeah, I mean, because we 
we believe it's uh, something good and, and it's about e equity. Yeah, I mean, it's also that. But it's also because being feminist today is something that we as men um, should be mostly concerned with because the toxic masculinity that still exists is harming us badly in a way that is very subtle and sometimes very, very difficult to, to figure out. So, um, yeah, I mean, let's not open this box because otherwise we'll need probably a couple more days, not just another <laughs> hour. Well, <laughs> on that point, Mirko, and I was just about to say this, is we definitely should be, uh, we should be doing a repeat podcast to this one because actually every time, every time you and I speak, we end up going off on so many different things and there's just so much great stuff that's come out of today's conversation. But actually, I'd really love to, to perhaps... Um, in fact, I'm going to invite you back on the show again right now and maybe we can have a discussion about some of the things which are in that black box, such as toxic masculinity, what does that mean, femininity, etc. Because I think that is another whole subject that is so important and, and one that I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm not sure that, that everyone is necessarily fully aware of and, and exactly what it means. So perhaps we could pick that up on, on another show. Oh, with, with pleasure. Utilize it. <laughs> And just before we go, because I just can't believe that, that we've kind of, we've, we've run out of time actually already for today. I'm going to ask you one question from the usual lightning round. I know you listen to the show, so I'm not going to ask you everything, but I'm going to give you one, what, what, one question um, in the lightning round questions before doing a summary and thanking you so much for being here today. But, um, and it is a big one. What, what advice would you give to your younger self if you could, the young Mirko, going back a number of years before you embarked on this decade plus long career within supply chain operations and diversity and inclusion? Like everyone, basically, there have been good moments, very nice moments, and very difficult moments as well. Um, Work-wise, I think uh, one thing that I, that I had to learn, and I was forced to learn at some point, was just to let go of things. Sometimes you just need to let go of things. Uh, I mean, that, that's probably the, the way of synthesizing it because we tend to, and I, myself, I, I tend to put a lot of passion in what I do and a lot of passion in my work. And sometimes I get like emotionally carried away with it. Okay. That's, that's a problem sometimes because things not always go the way you want. And sometimes they are just unfair. And unfairness exists uh, and exists pretty much everywhere. Sometimes you just see something and say, how could that be? How could you guys not see this? Still, and sometimes you just need to let go and, and, and remember that um, it, might, it might sound a bit, um, a bit rough, a bit, a bit too straightforward, but sometimes you need to remember that it's just work, okay? And that there are many, many more important things in life that you shouldn't really uh, subdue to that um, because your health comes number one uh, and your affections comes just um, <laughs> probably runner-up. So uh, we, we tend to put so much into our, into our job, into our work, that we um, basically, you know, that you need to source that time somewhere and sometimes you subtract to other things that are equally important. And one day, you know, that's basically all you'll be left with uh, because we'll retire or because, you know, because, because we're human beings. So, so my key advice to young Mirko would be, um, don't forget that it's just work. So sometimes you better let go of things. Don't stop, don't stop put, putting passion into it. But um, yeah, don't get uh, healed because of that. <laughs> that is such a fantastic note to to end the show on. And by way of summary, of which there's many things that I could say here, but certainly there's a number that jump out at me as really key 
pieces of, of wisdom and, and perhaps learnings for people to take away is if you are actually on a cultural journey or you're moving from different country to different country with your work, uh, really try and embrace it. I think that's so important and it, it's scary. At the end of the day, we are all human beings, but like Mirko has said, actually, if you can try and keep an open mind and you can try and embrace your new surroundings, actually, you'll often find um, that many positive things come out of that. Uh, if we keep a, a open mind to different people, different cultures, different places, actually, um, we could be celebrating many different festivals. We could be learning plenty of other things about ourselves and, and really enjoying uh, what we do at work. Uh, another key, key piece that I, I've just written down here, which I would really love to kind of do a shout out to businesses and encourage them to do it if they aren't already, diversity, inclusion, belonging programs are for everyone. They really are welcoming every single individual. And actually, there are some simple, not necessarily saying that you all need to go out and build an app, which is amazing, like Merca and Pfizer have done, but so many interventions that you can do that really do make a difference. And you know, don't under, underestimate those small pieces that actually make a huge amount of difference to people's lives so um, if you aren't already doing it um, you know maybe think about running a survey or think about um, running something which is you know a post workshop debrief or a post workshop inclusivity survey because um, you'd be surprised at some of the positive results that, that come out and don't be scared of it because we can all keep learning nothing is ever perfect it's always a a learning journey and finally um Merka, i just love what 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 you said there and i think actually i'm going to take that as personal advice to myself is sometimes we do get so het up in work it's the most important thing it's the most important thing to hit that deadline we're going to die if we don't hit that deadline but actually you're right we're here for a certain amount of time it's just work. Health comes first. If we don't have our health, then what else do we have? So enjoy the moment and, uh, and remember that uh, work is not necessarily the most important thing. So thank you so much, Mirko, for being here. It was my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Leila, for the opportunity. Thank you, Mirko. So as as usual, at the end of today's show, um, I'm saying thank you very much for Mirko for, for taking part and, and, and to Pfizer um, for kindly lending us Mirko for the half hour podcast show. Um, if you'd like to check out the show notes, they'll all be on our website at the end of today's show. You can connect with Mirko as well on LinkedIn, and I'm sure he'd be happy if you reach out about any DNI or cultural related questions. Um, you can visit us at www.dialglobal.org forward slash podcast or you can visit www.laylamckenzie.com forward slash podcast. Uh, my name is Layla McKenzie Dallas, and you've been listening to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast show with you every week. Look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye for now.